Welcome to the Basil Show, where we discuss Basil and other enterprise-grade tools for building and testing software at scale. This podcast is brought to you by Flare.Build, the world's first Basil company and a member of the Basil Community Experts Program. Over the last three years, Flare has onboarded thousands of engineers and migrated hundreds of millions of lines of code to Basil. They also offer the world's fastest cache and CDN for Basil, in addition to Basil Remote Build Workers and an industry-leading build and test analytics platform. And these offerings are available as a fully managed SaaS co-managed on-customer infrastructure or on-premises. To learn more about Flare's products, expert consulting and support services, and online interactive training, visit their website at flare.build or say hi via email to hello at flare.build. This podcast is returning to a more regular episode schedule after a long hiatus, and we have an excellent lineup of guests in the coming weeks, so keep an eye out for future episodes coming shortly. Without further delay, today's guests are Yun Pen, a software engineer at Google Munich. He has been working in the Basel team for six years after graduating from China. Yun initially worked on Basel Windows support and helped build TensorFlow on Windows. Most of Yun's work has been open source focused, including improving the Basel CI and packaging Basel for Debian. He's the current TL of the Basel open source sub team and one of the core contributors to BaselMod. Xu Dang Yang joined the Basel team about two years ago and has been working on BaselMod for the majority of the time. Now, over to your hosts and Flare co-founders, Tatiana and Zach. Welcome back to the Basil Show. <laughs> yeah, so here we are again after like a really long hiatus for a much overdue episode. And today we're going to talk about Basil Mod. I think this will be a very exciting topic and yeah, looking forward to jumping into it. Of course, we're talking about Basil Mod, and this is the new module system coming to replace workspace files in Basil. And I would definitely like to start things off with understanding what the motivation is, what was wrong with workspace files, and sort of how this uh, this new feature in Basil came to be. So I'll hand it over maybe to to Yoon first to kick things off. Yeah, sure. Hi everyone. So. Basically, when we open source Bazel from Blaze, Blaze is an internal Google build system, right? And internally, we are using a mono repo. And when we open source Bazel, we have to consider how to make one project depend on another. And that's when the workspace file was introduced. But uh, it didn't consider the complexity when dealing with multiple transitive dependencies and how to resolve the dependencies. So the community grows and more projects depending on each other and uh, this workspace file getting more complicated. Yeah, so first you have to declare all your transitive dependencies in one single file. That is not working well. And then people are coming up workarounds like uh, loading macros from another project. And uh, there's no actual dependency resolution. If one external repository is defined multiple times, it's very hard to figure out where it's defined, which project introduced it. So that has always been one of the major pain points for Bazel open source users. And we aim to improve that. Yeah, to add a bit onto that, if we're familiar with any of the other popular 
package managers or like language package managers such as you know Go's module system or Java's Maven or Rust's Cargo. They all have some sort of dependency declaration format that's more or less you know declarative. Whereas Bazel's workspace file kind of grew very organically into this imperative format. So there's no bird's eye view of everything like what do I want my direct dependencies and what do my dependencies want? It's all just like, instead of that, it's all just very linear. Like, okay, I want these, I will bring in these. And then if my other dependency wants something else, they'll just come in after. It's kind of a very chaotic, very organic growth of dependency management. On top of that, so that mean, that means that it's really hard to just figure out what you're using in your project, uh, what versions you're using and what, what things you're bringing in. Apart from that, it's also very hard to write the file itself. Like people, you know, libraries, they have to offer this like depth BZL pattern where they list out their transited dependencies. And then you need this like often 20 line boilerplate to, you know, bring in the thing first with an HTTP archive and then load a macro from it and then call it and then maybe load another macro from it and then call it again. So that's like a lot of boilerplate for not much clarity. So, you know, this is not really anybody's fault. Just like you said, when Bazel was open sourced, we probably wanted to make Bazel work with something like a, a mono repo, which Google has. And the quickest way to do that is like, okay, I have the source in my workspace. What are all the other things I need? Let's put it in this file. And it seems like a great idea, definitely in the beginning, but in the end, you just like, you have this very awkward way of building a monorepo in practice. So there's been like no shortage of user complaints about this. And it's very obvious when you try to use it like in any capacity, really. So that's kind of the background, uh, how we set out to, um, fix the situation. Great. Thanks. I can imagine that like there probably has been a lot of security complaints as well, right? So if you can't control something, you can't really predict if it's secure enough. Yeah, well, the, the good thing, sort of, quote unquote, good thing about the workspace files is it's very, very flexible, uh, very, you know, overly expressive. So like it's essentially a programming language. You can do anything with it. So like a certain project, for example, Envoy, they have their own sheet of dependencies within their project. They programmed all over it, and then they have their own like you know security manifest. So for each dependency they're bringing in, they have the CVE identifiers and everything. So like you can do a lot of homegrown stuff with this workspace setup, but obviously it's not conducive to um, modularization. Like other people can make use of it. So there's a lot of in-house solutions. Like some companies, they have their own in-house solution. We previously talked with Wix, right? They used Maven. Yeah, they essentially wrote their own like dependency management system using the workspace primitives. Yeah, like you said, security is one of the potential problems. Yeah, as a as a Bazel user myself, of course, I can relate to the pain that some folks are having here. We actually internally have a um, a system that also kind of generates a lot of that stuff for us so we don't have to actually write the workspace file. So yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to moving to the you know, BZL mod for all of our projects as well. Great, well, that's awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, you mentioned that there basically were a lot of complaints and stuff. I'm curious how did like, when was this moment when you actually decided to venture into the into the like journey of like rewriting the whole thing for Bazel? This has been a long pain point for Bazel users for a long time. And there are several tries to 
to ease the pain, for example, the Basel Federation, but it turned out uh, it's not working very well. And uh, at the end, we decided, okay, maybe we should just rethink how the external dependency should work in Basel. And we know workspace is very hard to improve if we just keep working on the same, uh, based on the same uh, mechanism. So yeah, that's the time we realized we have to change this. And uh, one background is that uh, more and more build rules are contributed by the community, which is written in Starnark. And it has common dependencies, or they sometimes even depend on each other. And native rules are also Starnarkified as Starnark rules. So those are all going to be introduced as external dependencies. And if we don't have a very good, reasonable external dependency management system, it's going to be very painful for Bezo users. Yeah. So like Yun said, uh, there have been prior attempts at this. Most of them were not rewrite attempts. Like the Bezo uh, Federation is basically, it's, it's like a repo that promises compatibility. Like, okay, these things, they all work with each other at this version that we specified. So just bring in, pick and choose whatever you want from this federation thing. But that's not a complete solution to the problem because first of all, it doesn't cover everything. It just covers the, you know, whatever the federation contains. And second, still because of the imperative nature of workspace, there's still a lot of boilerplate involved and you still cannot do like any sort of dependency resolution. You can only do whatever the federation says you have to do and then you still there there you still have to do the uh, awkward like okay HTTP archive to bring in the archive first and then load a macro from it and i call the macro and maybe you need to load some more so like it's it's still the awkward dance of doing this so without some sort of like overarching change to make the whole thing somewhat more you know declarative that we we can collect all the information we need and then do something instead of you know load something from remote and then execute some logic, some like cloudy nebulous logic, and then load some more archives. We just like load all the things, information at once, and then do some like, you know, whatever bespoke logic we want to run. So I guess there was not a sudden point at which we decided, okay, we're going to write it. It's like based on a lot of previous failures and uh, yeah attempts. And, and to be fair, we're not throwing everything away. Like repository rule is still supported in BZMOT because people already have written many useful tools like rules JVM external with repository rule, but they don't work well in a transitive way. If a project A and B, you both uses rules JVM external and A depends on B, then in A's workspace file, you have to list also B's dependencies, rules JVM external. Yeah, those can actually be improved in BZMOTS. So yeah, maybe we could talk about that more in detail later. Cool. Yeah, so with all that in mind, it's probably a pretty good natural segue into how you would go about designing the ideal module system, given all the, the shortcomings of the workspace files that we've covered. So maybe do you want to walk us through kind of what the design process looked like and how you started to formulate some of that stuff and maybe the community input and all that as well? Yeah, maybe sell us basal mode, you know? Like what are actually what are actual what are actual features, you know, why we all need to throw away our like beautiful workspace files. Uh, you you wanna go or yeah, I I can start. Okay. I think it was about one half a year ago or or two years ago that we, we, we started working on this design doc. 
for a new external dependency system for Bazel. Basically, there are, I think, two or three ma major questions that we have to answer. First is what's uh, the dependency resolution algorithm should be. There are a lot of dependency resolution algorithms uh, out there. Adopt, we checked uh, Maven, I think also definitely Go. And then we decided that we want something simple and uh, reproducible. So that happens to be Go's minimal ver version selection algorithm. Yeah. And it looks like the Go community is also in favor of this. So that's what we decided to use. And another big topic is, should we have a Bezos central registry to, to host all, all Bezos modules? Because for Go module, they actually don't have this. Everything is featured from GitHub. But GitHub is basically the, the registry. And uh, every project have tagged their versions. And so the Go module can, can figure out what, what's available there. But for Bezos, it's quite different, right? Not every project is host GitHub. And uh, we are also not only supporting one language. So we actually sent out a survey, a Google form to ask our users, what do they like? What's the problem are they facing? And uh, is Bezos Centralist going to solve it? And uh, yes, there are a lot of details here. So, but in the end, we concluded that yes, we should have this one because it provides a lot of information that we can later use to build a more integrated ecosystem. Yeah. So for example, we can implement some tests, press submit test for all the basal modules that checked in to verify their integrity. And uh, we can also test a different basal version with specific basal module to figure out the compatibility. And with the dependency graph, we can even test if what one new version of a certain module will break its dependent. Yeah, so I think all of these are going to be very helpful. Another thing is that uh, uh, for many C++ projects, people have to manually write build files for them. For example, TensorFlow, if you check their source code, they check in a lot of build files in their third-party directory to make the, the C++ projects that they depend on work. And uh, But what if another projects which have the same for example, same dependency zlib, and they write the same build file, write a different build file, and then they could conflict with each other. And with the central registry, we can unify this. We can check in the build file in the central registry, so everybody uses the same. So this reduces a lot of frictions in the ecosystem as well. Yeah, so the, another big part is that what we do is with repository rules, and that comes module extension. I think Shudon can elaborate more on that. Yeah, so yeah, this was only one of the very many questions that we considered when we started the design process. Well, I, I guess like uh, we can continue on this uh, theme first. So module extensions, yeah. So there, like you mentioned before, there are existing rules that deal with sort of source management, like importing uh, packages from other package managers and stuff. The most notable of which is rules JVM external, which brings in uh, Java artifacts from Maven. So yeah, there was a problem of like, okay, how do we continue to allow this? One of the ideas was, okay, we can maybe just like make every single artifact a Bazel module, you know, just like put them in our central registry and be done with it. 
that would involve a lot of like you know migration work because like i don't know there's like thousands of or maybe millions i have no idea how many uh artifacts in maven and um it would be quite a lot of work so then there was a the consideration okay maybe we can have a automatic importer of sorts that uh, converts maven artifacts into basal modules and do the same for you know node.js stuff in npm and like uh, rust stuff in cargo and stuff like that so in the end we basically we, we did some you know a lot of discussion and the the end result we decided was that this thing is not very easily achievable because first of all each existing package manager has their own like uh, you know nuances and different ways of resolving stuff for example npm allows multiple versions of the same dependency to coexist just because javascript just works like that and it's completely fine for them whereas for maven you would always pick one and maven picks the picks it with the you know uh, every dependency specification is a range and you pick essentially something that satisfies all the ranges and if nothing satisfies it and then it throws an error or something but like go in contrast is just like it's, it just picks the newest version that you specified like doesn't matter what's available what the actual newest version is it just selects the highest version that you specified so like everything works kind of differently and uh it's not completely obvious how we do the uh conversion from each uh you know different package manager to a basal module and there's also the fact that there's rules existing in the community that do some part of it like if you think about it rules driven external it essentially brings in java artifacts like a request a request for certain maven artifacts and turns it into repos so that's essentially what we want and someone has already done the work for us so we decided okay we can do something we can kind of just use this and uh have some sort of extension system to the module system so like you don't just rely on the native module system to bring in dependencies you can have extensions sort of to uh what we called in the beginning module rules similar to repository rules like repo rules like module rules could allow you to write a rule to somehow bring in something into the module system and we eventually changed the name to module extension because like a module rule doesn't really create a new module it just like creates new repos by doing something while the uh, module resolution thing is going on. Yeah, so like that's one of the problems that we, you know, talked about. Going back a little bit on the design process. So yeah, like like you said, this started like a year and a half ago. We started by just reading a lot of existing literature sort of. There's a lot about Go, how like the Go system was designed and how they really prioritized reproducibility. which is a big theme in basel too. So I think that's also a big part of the reason why we ended up deciding to use MVS because like, you know, reproducibility, basel is big on that. So why not also bring this into the external dependencies problem? And also we read about, you know, the how the previous uh, attempts at fixing this problem failed sort of uh there's multiple internal documents on potential replacement designs and also like we mentioned before the um Oh, geez, I'm blanking on it. Uh, the uh, federation, yeah, the federation. The federation. Yeah. So there yeah. were there were some like, you know, retrospectives on that. So we tried to yeah. take into account those. Uh, yeah, and then we did the survey. We did the preliminary doc. We kind of each went off in a direction to write out some potential designs, and then we weighed them. And in the end, we we kind of like put everything together to get into this solution that solved most of the needs. Yeah, which is like for basal modules, a central registry and 
for other package managing systems use this extension, which I think in the end, everyone was pretty happy with. There were also like other small questions to resolve, like what should the module manifest file format be? Like, should it be a JSON file or should it be like, a, you know, like written in the start arc, like build files and uh, yeah, lots of random stuff. Like this is actually still, a lot of it can be found in the original design doc. There's a, there's a huge alternatives to consider section. Yeah. And I think another thing that we spend a lot of time to make a decision is that should we implement Bizamod in Bazel or as a separate tool? Because Bazel is, a, the code is very complicated already. We initially don't want to add more complicity on that. Should don't actually try to implement Bizamod in Go and made a lot of progress on that. But it turns out it doesn't really work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was already in the implementation part, implementation sort of phase, let's say. After we had the design doc sort of nailed down, uh, not really nailed down, there were like still hundreds of comments, but we'll get, like it was mostly settled down. So we were like, okay, well, we got to implement this. As per the original document, BZML was supposed to be a command line tool. Well, hence the name sort of, it kind of looks like a, looks like and sounds like a command line tool, uh, which like, you know, when run would read the module manifest and like produce a workspace file so that, you know, Bazel can consume and then just like, you know, work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, this new workspace file would be much, much more watered down. It would have no load statements. Everything would be much easier, much flatter. Uh, so mostly people would not work with a workspace file. They would just like uh, work with a module file, run Bazel mod and have it take care of everything before running Bazel. So that was all nice and good. I, I spent like, I don't know, three, four months on the Go implementation. We're at some point, so like, uh, like we realized we, we kind of need to, there's a lot of calls back and forth between Bizamod and Bazel. Like Bazel, you know, Bazel has this, this really nice functionality that it watches file changes. If the file did not change, when you rebuild things, like it just completely gets skipped. So it's cached. And this is kind of, in my opinion, a very central part to why Bazel is nice. Like it makes everything much faster. Well, the thing is, like if you change your module definition or something. You need to remember to run BZLMod. And then BZLMod needs to like output something for, you know, into workspace. And then Bazel later will try to remember that this thing has been updated. And then Bazel sometimes will need to call back to BZLMod to say, okay, this file has changed. This file, which is, in, which is part of the module manifest has changed. Can you, BZMod, can you please run so that I can update my, you know, you can update the workspace file or something I can like rewrite. And eventually that turned out to be such a hassle that I realized I had to implement a lot of, a big part of Bazel in BZLMod, mm-hmm. which is just like, you know, at that point, like, why are we bothering with this? Why don't we just like, you know, make everyone's life easier and just put it in uh, Bazel. So like before the workflow would kind of be like, you know, you you change the module file. You the user you need to remember to run BZLMod, and then before running Bazel. If you don't, then you might be using some stale data. And a lot of people had a problem with this, and we were like, yeah, we see that, but like there's there's also a lot of benefit to splitting this out from Bazel because Bazel is a huge beast, and like the part dealing with workspace files is so freaking complicated. A lot of people. Before we started working on this, nobody really understood exactly how it worked. So like it took us a lot of time to dig into it. 
So we were like, yes, it would be great if we can like just tear this part out of Bazel and just like put it into a separate tool. So that it can be shipped separately. It can like be maintained separately. But in the end, it cannot really be shipped separately because then there will be a version drift and the interface between Bizamon and Bazel will kind of slowly drift apart. And that would be a usability concern. And then also mm-hmm. being maintained separately is good, but then it adds to the user's burden, basically. You need to remember to call this. You need to remember to run this. You need to remember to do a lot of things. So in the end, we just, yeah, I, uh, we kind of like we sent out a doc saying, you know, what would the community think? And pretty much everyone was like, yeah, I guess uh, if we need to implement so much in Bizamod to make it work, might as well just merge it back into Bazel. So yeah, it was, I guess the point is that it's a lot, it's a very, very uh, iterative process. Nothing was really set in stone. We tore down a lot of our initial assumptions. Hence why it's been going on for one and a half years and we only have an experimental version to show. I guess we got to speed it up. But yeah, um, that's kind of the, that's kind of the background of it. Great. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, very cool to hear. Yeah, you know, some of the the inner workings of the the Basil team uh, on this yeah. stuff is cool. Yeah, so obviously in Basil five, we got to preview this feature. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of curious what potential release timeline looks like for when this might be flipped on by default. Uh, do you have any predictions when uh, when that might be? Maybe right. what version or what year that might occur in? Yeah, what year? Oh, man. Uh, so, like, our preliminary plan is that 6.0, the next LTS release, will have sort of an official launch of VisaMod. Like, it's not going to be an experimental flag anymore. It's just going to be a flag. And it's still not going to be turned on because, uh, you know, we're still, like, we're still very, we're missing a lot of features. If you go on, like, the issue tracker on GitHub and just search for area VisaMod, you can see there's, like, tons of P1s still to be taken care of. And a lot of it was already planned in our original design doc, like, you know, a lock file, a like, uh, you know, offline mode, a vendoring mode, stuff like that. And also tons of bugs because like, you know, it's still an experimental version in 5.0. So 6.0 is when we expect sort of an official release so that APIs can be more stable and people can be more confident in trying to migrate. After that, there's still quite a lot of stuff to do, like migration work, tooling. So yeah, we're probably not going to be super soon before we turn it on for, by default. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I also want to encourage people to try out this feature, even though it's not officially a stable feature. Basically, we're already seeing some early adopters of Bizamods, and they are already finding back, uh, giving very useful f- feedback, like finding features in uh, GitHub projects, yeah, which will help us understand what use cases are we missing and what do we need to fix. Yeah. So in the meantime, we are, like Shizun said, we are still there are upcoming features planned for Bizamods we want to implement. And uh, I guess that already also leads some uh, time to iterate and uh, um, make things work, work well. Yeah, so I guess 6.0, I guess we can have a first stable version, but uh, it will still keep evolving on that. Yeah, and also the other part is the Bezos Central Registry. It's also uh, in a very early stage. So we're discussing how like uh, policies, like, like how, how do we maintain all those basal modules and how do we test them? 
So there are also some work on this side to make this amount work well, because if you don't have all the modules available, it's not going to work, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so before uh, 6.0, I believe we have some milestones we want to... So first, uh, like on my side, working with Simon Stewart, the maintainer of rules JVM external, to have a you know rules JVM external module extension ready so that people who need things from Maven can use that. And then on Yun's side, also, we want to make sure that some of the big projects of Google's own can use BZMod. Essentially ensure that BZMod can satisfy their needs. Uh, so the big thing is TensorFlow. So TensorFlow is a big user of Bazel and has a, okay, I shouldn't say that, a crap ton of, <laughs> of uh, external dependencies. So that's going to be, well, fun. Uh, yeah. trying to make work with Visual. Yeah, I, I had some working experience with uh, like a engagement with TensorFlow before because uh, when I first joined Bazel, I was working on Bazel on Windows. And TensorFlow is basically our goal that's, that we want to achieve to make it build on Windows. Grail. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, you can say if it works for TensorFlow, it should work for other projects as well, right? So... At that time, I also understand their dependencies quite complicated. So if a mod can work for TensorFlow, yeah, it could also work for other projects. So, yeah. Actually, I want to drill in on that a little bit. This is a bit yeah. of a rabbit hole maybe. But um, yeah, when it comes to the supporting dependency system like TensorFlow has, which is basically just a bunch of build files yeah. at HTTP repositories, as far as I understand. The question that I have is, like, obviously, we mentioned vendor mode is like a future roadmap item. Yeah. I guess, like, in the short term, like, for something like TensorFlow, like, how, you know, what what does it look like trying to make BZL mod actually work for those use cases where you've got, like, just a ton of, you know, external stuff, whether you're pulling it down off the network or you vendored it, and then you've got to produce all these build files. Like, how does that work today with BZL mod? Uh, sorry, uh, do I understand the question is that how... Oh well, yeah. So say yeah. I'll, I'll try to restate it. So say yeah. say the TensorFlow project today wanted to switch to using BZL mod and yeah. but they're stuck with like the, you know today they have like all these legacy you know other C plus plus dependencies that they're pulling mm -hmm. in and they've got their their own handwritten build files. Yeah. So how do they how do they make that work with BZL mod? Because I see. Like specifically, we've we've run into some challenges where you know we stand up our own registry but then we've got to like hand write like all these patches to you know to set up yeah, all the build yeah. files right so how does that look like i think there are two approaches uh, the one is that you turn all those dependencies into basal modules because in a basal registry you can actually have patches to add build files and if you add all those, checking all those build files in the build central registry, other projects can also benefit from it. For example, if some project depends on TensorFlow and also depends on that specific dependency, and then they can share the same build file and there's no conflict. I think that's a benefit, mm -hmm. but it does require more maintenance work. Like every time you update a version, you have to first upload a new version in the registry and then you bump the version in the module.base file, TensorFlow. Yeah. Another way is that if you look at the TensorFlow's workspace.bzl file, the HTTP archive are also repository rules, right? And the module extension can also invoke repository rules. So 
In fact, you can actually already reuse the exact definitions in the module extension. And this module extension only provides dependencies for TensorFlow itself. If other downstream projects don't know this, it's invisible for them. But uh, yeah, so it, it should just work if you use module extension. But then the, the downside is like I said, the downstream projects, if they share the same dependency, they cannot see them or basically dependency resolution don't work for those dependencies. Yeah, I guess I will let's say what, what the TensorFlow team thinks. Uh, is it worth for them to uh, maintain all those dependencies as based on modules or just keep them, keep introducing them as module extension? That's, that could also mm -hmm. be an option, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense. I mean, I think TensorFlow is more of a leaf node, probably. So yeah, it, it makes sense. Like people probably don't need to get all of its transitive dependencies, mm -hmm. you know, through some some module. So in their case, yeah, like since it's sort of the end of the tree there, makes sense maybe to just keep using the old approach. So that's, yeah, that's 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 definitely some good info, I think, for people that are trying to, to start adopting this stuff now. And yeah, your point of I, I, I do like the idea of like contributing upstream. Like if you bother to write a build file for, you know, boost or whatever, yeah, contribute it back. And that's, it's cool that, you know, there's maybe some, some room for community contribution on that stuff. So that's, that's definitely cool. Obviously you, you mentioned tooling, which maybe we'll dive a little deeper in that later, but obviously, you know, the more tooling there is, the easier it is for individuals to contribute this stuff back upstream. So I'm sure we'll, we'll dive a little deeper into that, but sorry. Um, so I want to get back into, oh, that's um, fine. I think there's on, one, Point yeah, to ahead, mention there about contributing yeah. back upstream. Uh, if you have like build file patches, you don't actually need to contribute upstream to like the boost project itself. Like sometimes right. they don't care. Like they don't care. Like you're, you're using, using Bazel. Why are you adding all these build files to my yeah. tree? Uh -huh. um, yep. So what you meant was that you can, because the Bazel central registry, the way you specify where a module comes from is just like a source archive. And you can also specify a list of patches, which are hosted on the registry itself. Like the registry doesn't host any source archives, but it does host the source patches you want. So like mm -hmm. by contributing upstream, you really mean like submitting PRs against the Bazel central registry. So even right. if the original project does not want Bazel patches, or maybe it's already dead, like it's not even on Git, maybe you can still very easily put patches in the central registry. Obviously, you still need to maintain the patches and stuff, but like at least it's something that everyone in Bazel will want. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's um, just an addendum. Thanks. Right, yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, so what about some of the other roadmap items and P1s? So obviously, rules JVM external support, critical. Yeah. What about something for NPM and Yarn? Is that something that's on the uh, the agenda at all? Right. Well, I mean, eventually it has to be. It's just like there are so many rules that you know touch other uh, dependency management systems that we we have to start with one, and rules JMX external happens to be the most used one. But eventually, yeah, we will definitely need to touch rules. Uh, I don't know. Is it rules JavaScript or rules Node.js? I can't remember. Rules Node.js. Rules Node.js. Yeah. So Alex Eagle probably we have been in contact, but he hasn't been doing much with Bzmod. I don't think. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, eventually that'll be but a thing. Alex already wrote a blog post about adopting Bezos' new package manager, which is awesome. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, well, cool. in that in that vein, uh, Simon uh, Simon Stewart also wrote a really nice blog post yes. about using Bezos' uh, and like, um, yeah, it opens our eyes too. As in, like we we've been like neck deep in this 
for for like months so it's kind of sometimes it's hard to see some of the things because like we sort of we work with it every day it's obvious to us but might not be obvious to users or like rural authors trying to use the new system so like so this kind of feedback is really important yeah yeah i also want to mention that some engineer working on uh apple rules or already trying to migrating like uh, apple support or maybe eventually rules apple i think keith smiley is uh, uh, also working on that yeah so but i think well more importantly that maybe we uh we should or the community can also write some best practice and the, the common issues or pitfalls you encountered when migrating your project to bzmod and share this knowledge uh, with each other so we can accelerate this uh, process. Yeah, we are only yeah. a two-person team, so we cannot take care of all the rules out there. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. on that note, we did create that in the uh, the Basel. Oh, yes, thanks. We started that thread. Definitely. So yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully people can go find that discussion. And yeah, hopefully that, that maybe that can become a good place to sort of centralize some of the uh, some of the knowledge here. I know mm-hmm. it looked like rules four and CC did manage to adopt the uh, BZL mod, so I'm sure there's probably some feedback from that. But it it looks like there's some good stuff in their source tree already, so it's coming right. together. <laughs> cool. So before we move on, are there any other like big upcoming features at the top of your mind that you would like to get implemented before we see like a more stable official release here? Right. So one of the things is, is uh, the log file, which allows... So because like the version resolution algorithm that we use for basal modules, which is minimal version selection, is... Uh, well, it's reproducible. Like As long as you don't change any of the inputs, it's always stable. So it doesn't really need a log file. But that changes for you know module extensions. So like for example, Rules JVM uh, external, it calls into Maven. And Maven version resolution is not reproducible. Like it's yeah, it's unstable. So like every time you run it, if there's some remote changes, then you might get different results. So like rules Maven external has its own log file sort of system. It's uh it's called pinned Maven install, uh, which outputs like a JSON file that you'd need to uh, check into your source repo. So this is a need that a lot of rules will have. So like. Rules Haskell has its own like way of snapshotting a uh, using a snapshot, and then if you eventually look at like Cargo for Rust and stuff, which also has a you know non-deterministic version selection algorithm, then yeah, it's, so it's it's a it's a need that multiple rules will have. Uh, so we wanted to solve it like at the root level, like so essentially when you run a module extension the result of running that module extension is a list of repos that this module extension will produce. So what we will do is we will store this, like this output, this list of repos and uh, you know their definitions and store some sort of checksum for all the inputs into the extensions, which means that this whole pinning thing, like it's no longer done sort of in-house for each rule. And so there will be one you know, unified way to do locking sort of pinning. Um, yeah, so that's been a big part, big, I guess, feature request. And that's one of the big things I'm going to focus on next. Another, uh, another one is the, about the dependency graph, right? To understand why 
you depend on specific dependency. I right, think we already have similar function on the build level with Bazel query and Bazel C query. We also want to implement something for the external dependencies to, uh, to help you understand that why do I actually depend on module A on version X? So it would be helpful for the users, I think. Yeah, we're actually um, getting an intern to work on this. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's good. And one potential feature is that a caching, because currently we have some sort of caching for remote repository. When you want to download the HTTP archive, it's cached on your disk. And then when you try to download from the same URL, it, uh, then you, you don't have to access the internet again. But that's not the final result of an external repository, because you have to extract the archive and uh, probably make some patch and execute some random command to change the content. And this also can take a significant amount of time. For example, especially on Windows where file operations are quite slow. So we also want to implement some kind of caching for the end result of external repositories. So if nothing changes, you can just get your external repository like uh, already prepared. So that could reduce the loading time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's an excellent feature. That actually, I had one of my my later questions is related to this. Maybe we'll just jump into it now. Um, so so obviously, an external contributor who we actually talked to on this podcast uh, implemented the remote downloader capabilities, which yeah, is obviously the, the, yeah, uh huh, the asset API um, that basically allows a remote cache to fetch the the actual dependencies from the net and then cache them. And so any HTTP archives, for example, are actually downloaded by your remote cache infrastructure and cached for you there. So I'm kind of curious what the expectation would be for if this is going to work kind of at all with the, uh, the remote downloader. So is that something that you've thought at all about or not so much? So uh, to be honest, I'm not quite familiar with the remote downloader. I think it's, no, it's, the, it's the gRPC thing uh, that's... You know, like when you download something, instead of actually going to the HTTP thing, it it just asks this gRPC service, hey, yeah. where is it? Or like, yeah. But that's mostly still for downloading a file or a, a source archive, right? Yeah. yeah. Those are the only two things that work. So it doesn't support like Git or whatever. It only does HTTP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that covers a lot of the use cases already. Uh, but yeah, that, that was, I think that was discussed in the early days of the design and we didn't really have time to work on it. Also, like it's kind of, it can keep working, you know, like, yeah. like it is. Uh, the, the downloading part, the fetching HT over HTTP or the caching of the fetching of the fetch of HTTP is sort of our orthogonal as to like, yeah, know, deciding what to fetch and deciding what to use, which is more, more what Bizamod mm -hmm. is about. Caching on a different level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so under the hood, yeah, obviously I guess at the end it's going to resolve to HTTP archives. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, and what it really falls into is, you know, the repository context objects download method. So anything that goes through that will always go through, you know, the remote downloader config or remote or there's like multiple kind of protocols over this, like, you know, like, like you mentioned, there's this uh, gRPC service. And then uh, also from Apple, Simon's side, there's this uh, URL rewriter thing. So like everyone just uses their favorite way to deal with this problem. And then we, we end up with like 10 experimental flags. It would be nice one day to consolidate them. But, you know, we got our hands full. It was on our radar for a while, but uh, 
it has kind of like fallen behind on the priority queue. But yeah, uh, gotcha. suffice it to say, it, it would ev- eventually fall into our purview, which is external dependencies, really, anything about there. Yeah, kind of in the backlog. Cool. Well, I know who to come find when my customers start complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to mention one related feature for the BCR is that we automatically mirror all the source archives in a GCS bucket. So, so basically, the uh, even if the content of the original URL changes, you can still get reproducible builds. Yeah. So that's basically you don't have to write all those duplicated URLs like a mirror.bazel.builds and then your original URL, it all happens automatically. So I think it would improve the user experience as well. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. I actually, I was mm-hmm. going to ask about that randomly. Oh. It seems like a good idea to mirror stuff. That's, that's cool. Glad you're, you're way ahead of me on that one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so great. So if, if I'm an end user of BZL mod, what does it look like if I want to get started with this? So maybe let's walk through two different use cases. We've got rules authors, which is probably a lot more complicated, but... Yeah probably more important. And then after that, sort of the, the end users, right? So maybe walk me through as much as you can. Like if I'm a rules author, I've got a you know, fairly simple rule set, but I depend on a few other rules maybe. How do I get started today moving from traditional workspace file and the macro approach to something with, with BZL mod? Yeah. So most of the time it should be very straightforward, really. Because uh, if what you're doing is just like to pull a dependency on A, you initially, you just like copy pasted a 20 line snippet from A into your workspace file. Then all you'd need to do really is replace that 20 line snippet with a simple Bazel dev statement in your module.bazel file saying, okay, I want A at a certain version. And that, that's all you need to do. You, there's no URLs, there's no like setup code. It's all like, it all happens automatically because like A's further dependencies will be pulled in automatically. If you need to use anything like any repository rules from that from that repo. For example, if it's rules given external, then you need to think about okay. Well, you need to you need to look at the new module extension API and see how you can call those extensions. Like before, you would just like directly call a repo rule in your workspace file. Now you will need to specify some module extension tags, like some pieces of information for it to process and give you the, those repos. Yeah, that's the gist of it. But like, you has a lot of ex- experience. Like, you even um, yeah converted uh, Basil itself to use BZL mod. So yeah. So uh, from my experience, is the first step is definitely to understand your dependency graph. Right? What are your direct dependencies? What are your translative dependencies? And then the most important is the direct dependencies because in the module by module that Basil file, you actually only need and you have to list all your direct dependencies because now we introduced a strict depth. So basically you can only see the direct dependencies you define in module.bazel file. Even if another project is your transitive dependencies, you, you cannot depend on the targets in your build file. So yeah, so once you know what your direct dependencies are, you should check if it's already in the Bazel central registry. Then if it is, then great. You just add Bazel depth, module name, and version. And all its transitive dependencies should be fetched automatically. So you don't have to write loads, depths, or, and you cannot do that in modules of Bazel, of course. And if it's not, think about should it be Bazel module? If it should, then you're probably working on helping modernize that project. And it will also benefit other Bazel users when they are doing the migration, right? Yeah. And then 
if there are still dependencies that you think, okay, maybe it's just some my internal dependencies, it, it doesn't make sense to be a base module. And in that case, it's probably by introduced by some of your custom repository rule. And then it's exactly the, the case she don't mention about. You have to check the module extension API and, and figure out how to introduce those dependencies with module extension. So I think the process at the beginning, it would be a little bit painful, <laughs> not that painful, but uh, because we already have many of the basic rules available in the registry, but the, the more projects adopting to be the mods, the easier for, for the following up projects to adopt. So yeah. It's, a, it's kind of a rolling mm-hmm. snowball. Once we yeah, achieve yeah. sort of a certain critical mass and it should be like very straightforward. And like, it's often the case that like a, you know, a hundred line workspace file just gets turned into a five line module.bazel file. Right. Yeah. So, well, let's not gloss over. So if, if I'm a rules author though, there's a little bit of extra work, right? Or even if I'm just, if I'm converting something to BZL mod that wasn't one of my, my direct dependencies as a end user, um, I still need to get that back into the central registry somehow. Right. So maybe let's walk through what that process would look like. Right. Yeah. So putting a module into the central registry. There's a handy little script that you wrote for the, well, for, for putting modules into the central registry. Essentially, you just input some metadata. Like it's it's an interactive little Python script. You, en- you enter some metadata and it calculates all the, the files that you need in the registry for you. For, for example, you need like the source archive, you need the checksums for it. And this script will just calculate everything for you. Well, you can go into a bit more detail. Yeah. So source.json file is the main part. Basically, the, the most important information is where is your source, right? The, the URL or your source and uh, probably some strip prefix that you, you, you have, uh, we have to strip. Like when you are using HTTP archive, you also have this attribute. And if you want to make some patch, for example, adding some build files, then you can also specify uh, some patches. The, the little script can also actually generate some patches for adding build file for you and also the, 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 the checksum. Yeah, source.json file is a big part. And another is the module.bazel file. So we uh, store the module.bazel file separately in the central registry so that when we do the dependency resolution, we don't have to download all the source archive and unpack them, which could be time consuming. Yeah, so... That currently you have to manually specify a, a path to it. Uh, and uh, in future, I think we could improve the uh, rule to uh, automatically extract this from the source archive. Yeah, another part is pressamit.yaml file. Like I said, we want to test those Bazel modules before we check them in. So this pressamit.yaml file will specify the build targets that you want to expose to your downstream users. And also you can also specify a few tests that, that to verify the basic fun- functionalities and or the, the APIs that you want to expose to make sure them actually work. Yeah, you can also specify different platform, Linux, Mac OS, Windows, and uh, make sure they work on all those platforms. Yeah, so this is used for press submit. And in the future, we could also use this to test compatibility with Bazel or even to test, to, to run downstream tests. Like I said, if you have a one newer version, for example, root CC, you probably want to know if this version will break other modules who depend on previous versions. Yeah, so 
there's some infrastructure we need to implement on Bezos AI uh, to support this. Yeah, but this is also uh, quite important that uh, you specify a list of good tests that won't take a long time to run, but will probably catch, for example, 80% of the common errors. I think it overall is, will uh, benefit the ecosystem. And I remember I also had a discussion with Fabian and Alex Ego on how should we test the modules. At the beginning, I just think, okay, you can list a list of targets that probably you already run on your own CI. That uh, works, but uh, in the end, we don't want to encourage people to list like uh, their full test suite in, in the Bezos Central Registry because this is not a CI for you. And uh, running all those tests could be costing a lot of resources on CI and uh, it could take a long time. And more importantly, the internal test isn't like really important for uh, here. So we think that uh, maybe people can have a test module in the source archive in some subdirectory, which could depend on the target module. That's the module you want to check in. And this has several benefits. First, you, you can actually test your target module as an external dependency instead of running the regular test suite as a, as a root project, right? Uh, and the second that you can, of course, you, the, the test suite is smaller and it's faster to run. And the, for example, if you contain the most common use cases of your rule or your uh, simple integration test that you can cover your basic APIs. So that would be nice. And the third is that when running a test that you, you sometimes actually want to have some dev dependencies. Basically, if you want to introduce more dependencies for testing, it could probably pollute the dependency graph because your downstream project may get some dependencies they actually don't need. Having a test module that will enable you to exclude those dev dependencies from the target module and make the dependency graph smaller and more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds like an awesome pattern. And I'm not going to name any names, but definitely I've seen rule sets struggle with like they only are using like local repository override stuff to like reference the rules because the examples and tests are in the same project and their tests pass, but then downstream they fail. So right. we've seen some some issues like that definitely in the past. So yeah. The idea of a test module sounds pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Are there any other like big blockers you see like that might um, you know cause you not to flip the uh, or at least remove the experimental prefix from this flag? Like, what's uh, what are the looming dangers that that keep you up at night uh, for rolling this out? Ooh, it's a big one. <laughs> I I can talk the thing that keeps me like uncomfortable. <laughs> so basically, since we are introducing external repository transitively, right? And then there's a question that's how do we avoid conflict on the repo limbs? Because maybe you introduce, you have an external repository named foo, and uh, your dependency also want to have a repo named foo, but maybe they could point to different versions or even completely different things. So to solve that, we are basically heavily adopting repository mappings. It's a feature that's exist a long time, even in workspace file, but uh, it's not extensively used by Bezos users. And so basically, currently in Bezos Mods, there are two 
concepts of repository name. Uh, the first is a local repository name, which is basically the repository name you see from your own project. For example, in your build file, you have to depend on, for example, root CC. Then you can just write uh, at root CC slash slash some target. But in fact, when we are preparing the directory for root CC, we are actually to avoid conflict, conflict, we are actually using its canonical repository name, which is the module name dot the version. So basically, it will actually be root cc dot, for example, 1.0 in your disk. And then there comes a question that what if at the wrong time you have to access the files from some of your external dependency? Then because of repository mapping, the in the past you will have to include the version number there using the canonical repository name, and uh, this is obviously gonna change if the dependency resolution changes. For example, if you upgrade root CC to a newer version, and suddenly this path changes, and this has been causing a lot of several issues. One of them is that the start doc currently doesn't work because Stardock, it will also load BZL files, but it doesn't do, it's not aware of repository mapping at all. So yeah, we're still trying to figure out how, how to make this work. If this is going to cause a lot of pain, can we work around this case by case or should we provide a general solution? Yeah. I think that, that that's the, the repo name thing is a frequent source of headache. Uh, yes. Like it's been in Basil and it's kind of like what we based the, you know, repo renaming and the strict depths features on. But the thing is, uh, the support has been so poor. It's extremely buggy. We already fixed a lot of bugs, but there's still like a few pop up every now and then. Like, for example, just today, someone was saying, uh, if I specify a label, in the command line flag, and that label has a uh, you know repo part like at abc. Then that at abc today needs to be the absolute like the canonical repo name, which like mm. which is supposed to be a secret, like it's a mangled name. Like obviously, if you're familiar with C plus plus, it's not like you would ever call a symbol by saying you know underscore underscore five c something something just because it's like a overloaded method. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's also something we need to fix, and it's also not very straightforward to fix because you know you only get the repo mapping after certain things happen. So like you can only process this argument after some things have already been done. Yeah, so. A lot of this is like very not exciting. It's not like, oh, this is a big feature we're working on. And that's the next thing that's blocking, you know, official release. It's a lot of this like age old stuff that's broken in Basil and nobody has looked at and very arcane stuff you need to fix. So yeah, that's not very exciting to talk about, but it is indeed one of the big headaches. So yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Also, yeah. I, I quite, quite worry about usability. Like we don't have the tooling yet and um, you know, usability and documentation. It's not that easy to like write a lot of this stuff, but people well definitely need it for good reason. If you feel like sometimes it just feels like we're very shorthanded, but you know, we might get a new hire for the team some hopefully soon, and yes. the intern will also help. So yeah, <laughs> things are looking up at least in that regard. Yeah, yeah. great. Cool. So what is stopping the rules JVM external support from landing? Uh, yeah, so that's a, PR. yeah, so I asked Simon last time and he said it was just the internal usages of 
I think he said it was just he wanted to remove the workspace file in uh, rules JVM external itself. So like in order to build rules JVM external, you need to have BZM all turned on. And that was mm -hmm. like one of the last things he wanted unblocked. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm obviously I'm just helping. I'm, I'm not the maintainer of rules JVM external, so I can only give sort of second secondhand information. Well, okay, someone has done a great job of. Uh, we definitely can just interview him. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> and see what's up. I'll be happy to hear about what, what he has to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're still meeting from time to time. Also, I want to like kind of like iron out some of the APIs because. I think some of it is still not designed perfectly for the module extensions. Like it's still kind of flavored like the old repo rules. So maybe we can iron that out. And then, yeah, I think um, that should be soon enough. I think uh, maybe by the time 5.1 rolls around, might just be ready. Great. Yeah, very cool. And so when it comes to the Basel Central Registry, are there any plans to do something with discoverability there? Maybe some command line tool or even a web UI? Yeah, I think the, a web UI sounds like a good idea. If you look at uh, Homebrew or VC package for the C++ dependencies, they all have this kind of web page that's showing you all the available packages. I think that can definitely happen Basel Central Registry. Yeah. I think it's a good idea, but like we are still in the early ages. There are still not uh, one page of modules checked in, so it's not super urgent, but uh, mm -hmm. I, it will eventually happen. We will have more modules. And in this web page, we could probably show like, of course, what versions are available for, for the certain module and uh, uh, in its compatibility with Bazel, right? What Bazel versions can build it. And, uh, or information is like uh, what platforms it supports, or at least being tested on, right? Yeah. Maybe it's so. dependencies. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, of course, mean, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. That's cool. That's true. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Just just need a few more interns to get that done, too. Huh? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too many things, too little time. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we're about out of time here, so let's go ahead and uh, and wrap it up. So, um, in conclusion, um, if folks want to follow either of you two, do you have Twitter handles that you are actively promoting or anything like that? Uh, uh, not really. I, I, yeah. Okay. I, 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 for for me, I'm not a heavy social media user. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't use Twitter much, but we are on Slack. So. You can yeah. yeah Actually, I wanted to to point out that the last couple questions were like from community, so yeah, I posted like a um, a message and people actually had a couple questions about Basil mode, so that's pretty cool. Um, like yeah. the UI question and JVM uh, rules external one, so we do take them. So if I post next time, please <laughs> put some questions into the forum. Um, yeah. So feel free to go into the Basil Slack, and uh, yep. there's there's this there's a channel dedicated to uh, external depths, just like hash mm -hmm. external dash depths. So yeah, post your question there. We're fairly active now <laughs> we weren't before but like we're fairly active now yeah. uh so yeah it yep. should be easy to reach yeah if you want to get help or like ask about questions that's certainly the way to go if it's an issue feel free to file an issue on the github repo we'll like triage them pretty frequently and we also very much welcome pull requests to help us fix you know some of the easier to fix but uh yeah it just takes us some time like uh we, we have like um issue label called help wanted. So some mm -hmm. of the BZLMOD related issues are 
Yeah, they should be fairly easy to fix. So very easy for any potential contributors to Bazel. PR is welcome. Great. Awesome. So yeah, people should just look for help wanted and the BZL mod tags to yep. get started on contributions. Yep. Okay, great. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot. And yeah, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks all. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Flare Build Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tune in again with Zach and Tatiana for the next podcast in the series.